Hey, this is Joe Bakmutsky, and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. I'm super excited today because we have Linda as a guest. She's a world's leading expert on applying mindfulness to really help you deal with worries and uncertainty, both during cancer and beyond. I'm sure you're gonna love this. So Linda, we we hear so much about mindfulness, you know, in the media, but no no one seems to know what it is or how do you actually do it. So tell me, what's mindfulness and why is it important when you're dealing with cancer? Okay, well, let's start with the basic question. What is mindfulness anyway, right? So if you look at the most simple definition, mindfulness is just paying attention in the present moment with an open and accepting attitude. So it's simple, but it's not easy because if you think about where your mind normally is, there's research showing that we have anywhere from 50 to 70,000 thoughts every day. So 50 to 70,000 individual thoughts. Yeah. And they've done research where they ping people with little beepers and they ask them, you know, what are you thinking about? And they ask about their moods. And so it turns out that, I don't know, make a guess, like how often do you think our minds are not in the present moment? Um, Most of the time. (laughs) We might think that. But in this study, they found that about half the time people's thoughts were not on what they were doing. So in conjunction with that, they also found that people were happier when their attention and their thoughts were in the present moment. And so if you ask yourself the question, well, why would that be? Why is it that when my mind's wandering, I'm less happy? Well, you can look to where the mind goes often. And if you look at uh, sort of our habitual ways of thinking, often your mind might be in the past right? So you might be reliving something and saying, oh, I should have said this or could have, should have, would have, or if only this, or if only that, you know, things would be be better. And then you feel really down on yourself. You have regrets. You can get angry and resentful, right? When you're ruminating on the past because you can't change any of that, you know, so you can get really wrapped up in, in sort of uh, blaming yourself for the, how things went. Or for a lot of people and a lot of people with cancer, their minds are zooming off to the future, Right. So they're worrying about, oh, what if this, what if that? I don't know what's going to happen. You know, what's my future hold for me? And so you get all stressed out and worried. Right. So all that ruminating in the past makes you depressed. All that worrying about the future makes you anxious. And so you miss the moments when you live your life, which is only in the present moment. And it turns out that when we are able to keep our attention and our awareness in the present moment, we tend to be happier because we're not so stuck with things we can't change or things that may never happen. So that sort of is the general idea of mindfulness is learning to be awake and aware in the present moment. But there's also lots of myths around what is mindfulness that it's important to dispel. So one really common myth is that your mind just goes blank, right? (laughs) There's no thoughts thoughts, and it's all blissful and you're maybe like floating like one of those yogis sitting in a lotus position, right? (laughs) Um, And so that's a common roadblock because people might try mindfulness practice and their mind doesn't go blank and it isn't calm and peaceful. And so they think, I don't know how to do it or I'm doing it wrong or I just don't get it or I can't do it. It's impossible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there, done it. Yep. (laughs) So it's really important to understand that mindfulness or awareness in the present moment doesn't always mean that it's blissful because your present moment experience isn't always blissful. Right. So we can be aware and accepting of uncomfortable mental states, and that's still being mindful. So we often think of mindfulness as sort of three main components called IAA. So the first one is intention. So you make a purposeful intention that you're going to try and be present in the moment. 
And the intention for doing that may be just because you want to be more available and awake and aware in your life. You want to be present. Or maybe you actually want to hone this skill uh, for a particular reason, like you want to help cope with a difficult time or work with a symptom like pain or insomnia or something like that. So that's sort of your intention, which is your guiding light. And then the second component, so intention is kind of the why of the practice. The second component is attention, attention training. That's the core of the practice. So that's the what is attention. And mindfulness is a skill that you have to learn through practice, just like you would learn to play tennis or play the piano, right? So you're not a piano virtuoso overnight, and you're not a tennis star by watching people play tennis or reading about it. (laughs) (laughs) Although that would be nice. Yeah, people love to read books about mindfulness, but if you don't actually do the practice, you'll never get any better at it. Just wanting to be mindful doesn't make you mindful. You know, I would love to speak 12 languages, but I don't because I haven't practiced doing that, right? (laughs) And so the core of the mindfulness practice is attention training. And so that's when we purposefully turn our awareness towards what we're paying attention to. And when our mind wanders, like it inevitably will, we gently lead it back over and over again. So our awareness often is on just something kind of mundane in the present moment, like your breath rising and falling or a sensation in your body if you're doing a body scan. And it can be any element of present moment experience. You can focus on sounds in your environment. You can focus on sensation in your body or thoughts that are passing. But you have to have that vigilance to notice when your attention wanders and bring it back. And that bringing back, each time you do that, it's training your mind to walk a different path. It's actually strengthening neural connections in your brain that support the ability to be in the present moment because the strong neural pathways we have now take us to the past and the future and analyzing and judging. So we have to retrain the brain to beat new paths. So we do that through repetition and attention training. So that's the second component, the A of attention. The third component is kind of how we do it. And that's the A of attitude. So it's really easy. And you've probably had this experience to be very harsh and judgmental when you try to do mindfulness practice. Like, Oh, I suck at this. I can't do it. I give up. Right. And so that's obviously not helpful. (laughs) So we want to apply attitudes of kindness and non-judgment, kind of openness and curiosity, um, as well as self-compassion, right? So thinking, wow, this is really tough. You know, this isn't, this isn't an easy thing I'm doing. And I'm just going to have to accept that it's going to take time. And another attitude is patience. Another one is acceptance. Because when we sit and pay attention to our experience, Often it's not pleasant and it's not what we would optimally like it to be. You know, it's your mind's crazy and worrying and driving you up the wall, right? But can we accept that that's where we're at? We're having difficult emotions. Can we be kind about that? So the attitudinal component helps um, soften the discoveries through the attention, um, all towards sort of the intention of being more present and awake and aware. Um, So that's kind of mindfulness in a nutshell, I guess. Yeah, fantastic. So I really love how you say that you, you you kind of have to have an internal reason of why you're doing it, right? Yeah. And yeah. and then, yeah, sorry. Well, I was just going to say your intention may change or evolve over time, right? For some people, um, they may have really sort of grand intentions just to become more self-aware and personal growth and, you know, ultimately to be liberated from suffering and reach enlightenment, you know, these types of objectives, but it also may be very mundane, just, you know, I want to cope with day-to-day stressors in my life. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I know you have you mentioned that you have uh, kind of focus on on where you are now and and you don't allow yourself to wander off about thinking about other things. And when you do, you kind of you you have to be kind to yourself and let it go. But how do you actually focus on bringing yourself back to that moment, bringing yourself back to the space where you're just where you are now? Well, so there's this like meta awareness we call it, right? There's a, a larger awareness that sees what we're doing. And so we're kind of trying to channel or develop the skill of this meta awareness. So say, for example, we're doing awareness of breath meditation. And so you're using mental noting to kind of help you. And so you're noting to yourself in every time you breathe in and you might be feeling the rising of your belly. So you might be breathing in and thinking in, rising, out, falling, in, rising, out, falling. And then you think, oh my God, I forgot to return that phone call. Right. And so then you might think, oh, I have to, you know, do it now, or maybe I could do it later. And then that meta awareness says, oh, you're off the breath. Hello, hello, you're off the breath. Right. And it might take a while, or maybe it chimes in right away. And you go, oh, I'm off the breath. And then you say, let it go. Right. You say, I'm going to let the phone call go. And then you come back in rising out, falling. Right. And so that's the training. That's it. Right there is the noticing and the coming back. And so diverging from your focus isn't a failure that's how you get better, right? That's how you learn the skill. If you were constantly on your breath all the time at the beginning, then you're already doing it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so tell me, Linda, is mindfulness uh, and meditation, are they different? Well, mindfulness is a form of meditation. So mindfulness is also something um, a little bit broader because you can think of mindfulness in two ways. So mindfulness is a way of being in the world. You can be more or less mindful at any given time. It doesn't take extra time to be more mindful as you go throughout your day, right? So it's just a way of being. It's um, almost like a trait. Um, but mindfulness is also a practice, mindfulness meditation, um, that practice of sitting down and paying attention on purpose and training our attentional capacity. So that's the meditation of it. It's a form of meditation practice. And there's many, many, many other forms of meditation practice as well that are you know, practiced around the world. So mindfulness is more like a sub subtype of meditation practice. Oh, cool. And how did you discover that uh, that mindfulness is something that really helps people during cancer? Well, so I had already been practicing meditation and yoga for about 10 years when I started working with cancer patients. Um, and I had some colleagues who also practiced yoga and meditation. And we all got together and said, you know, this could really, we think, be helpful for the people we work with. And there's a number of features or elements of the cancer experience that made us think that. And um, I don't know if you have personal experience, but what's it like to be diagnosed with cancer, do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I, I do have personal experience and it's an incredible shock to the system. And I think uh, you described it uh, so eloquently when you said that you spent a lot of time kind of on one hand ruminating on the past, you're thinking, what could I have done differently? Um, could I have picked up the cancer earlier? And, and what have I done in my life? And then again, like you also said, you spend some time living in the future because you kind of spend um, time thinking, well, what's going to happen? And is this treatment going to work? And is this cancer going to come back? So it's incredibly <laughs> difficult to stay uh, and, and kind of be in the moment in the life that you already have. Yeah, exactly. So you've encapsulated the main challenges is uncertainty about the future, loss of control, right? Because we often feel like we control the path of our lives. You know, we're going to 
work for X number of years, maybe have a family, then we're going to retire and, you know, live well into our 80s or 90s. And, you know, we sort of feel like that's something we have some control over, but then cancer steps in and that's all turned upside down. And so people often question, well, what is my life going to look like? And I don't really have as much say as I thought I did. And, you know, then there's this unpredictability about your treatments and, you know, you have to take time off work. And so there's loss of control. There's this uncertainty about the future. Um, And as you said, too, there can be, for many people, blame and guilt and shame about even being diagnosed with cancer in the first place. And then there's all the stuff you have to cope with because of the cancer and the treatments. So there's insomnia, a very common symptom, Um, fatigue from the treatments, super common. There can be cognitive problems that are a consequence of the treatment and the anxiety. Um, There can be symptoms like pain. And then there's usually anxiety and depression and decreased quality of life. So there's a whole just host of different things that a person's having to deal with right from day one going forward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> I just, um, this, this feeling of not knowing what the hell is going on and trying to, to navigate your normal life, because th- that also doesn't stop, right? Because you still have to do the things you always do, whether that's, that's work or family or friends. And then you have to kind of figure out this whole system and the entire new language around, you know, treatment. And yeah, it's, it's incredibly difficult not to kind of be anxious and not to have your mind jump all over the place, right? Yeah. And so we're really good in Western societies at one type of coping, which is called problem-focused coping. Right. And so this is writing the to do list and, okay, I need to, you know, schedule an appointment for this. I need to buy certain supplies. I need to book time off work and get someone to take the kids to school, blah, blah, blah. So we can write all these lists and sort of solve problems quite well. But there's this whole other realm of coping called emotion focused coping that we're not very good at often, you know. And so all this emotional stuff that's out of our control, the fear and uncertainty and all these difficult emotions that are swirling around, well, what do we do with those, right? And that's where the mindfulness practice is so very helpful. Um, And there's so many features of it that really um, the people I've worked with just find very helpful in dealing with that loss of control and loss of certainty, you know, because with the mindfulness practice, we talk about just accepting things as they are and really trying to do the best we can in the moment and kind of letting go of outcome. So we also talk about um, these attitudes of non-attachment, which is this idea of letting go, right? Of really making a distinction between things we have control over and things we don't and focusing on the things we can do. So we can learn a mindfulness practice. We can learn how to respond to things in our environment in a more thoughtful way. We can look at how we perceive events in our environment and do we sort of blow things out of proportion? Do we jump to conclusions? Like, do we have these sort of cognitive habits that are unhelpful? And so taking control of those sorts of things where you do have choice and you do have option and you can learn these skills and techniques, right? There's so much really you can't control. So not focusing on that stuff, instead focusing on all the things you can do in the moment, in the day, you know, that's going to set you up for better days in the future. Absolutely. And I love how you, how you break it down into kind of this problem solving way of coping and, and kind of emotion based way of coping. So, so tell me, so with mindfulness, does that mean that when you're more mindful of being in, in the moment and when you're more kind of present in your reality, that some of the negative thoughts 
do they do they go go away somewhere? Well, they'll still ha- you'll still have the negative thoughts, but you're not um, feeding them. You're not latching onto them and ruminating about them. And so another thing you you learn when you practice mindfulness is impermanence. And you know we have a slogan: the only certainty in life is change. Right. So everything is coming and going all the time. And it's our need to make it a certain way and grasping on to wanting things to be one certain way and pushing away other experiences we don't like. That's what causes suffering. Right. It's not the experiences themselves because they just come and go. You know, so if you are having a bad day, it's sort of comfort to say, well, this is going to pass. Right. This too will pass. It's another you know, sort of common saying. So this idea of just the recognition of impermanence allows us to kind of accept difficult emotions, watch them, you know, understand them, um, spend some time with them, you know, and then let them come and go at their own pace. Linda, that's such a great way of looking at things. I've found <laughs> I'm always the type of person who sees something negative and I jump on it. And, you know, I think a lot of us do that. Well, and, you know, it's counterproductive because it's only natural to have all sorts of emotions coming and going, especially with such a challenging life experience. And so when we don't allow the ones we consider undesirable or negative, you know, we suppress them or say, no, I have to be positive. I have to put on a happy face. Well, they're just going to keep popping up. Like, I don't know if you have the game whack-a-mole um, in Australia, but no. it's no, you don't. It's a Canadian thing. It's an arcade game where there's these little um, creatures, they're moles and they pop up and you hit them with a stick and it goes down and the next one pops up. And you <laughs> anyway, So the whole point is that you try and squish it down here, but it's going to pop up over there when you don't want it to, right? So if yeah. you just let it do what it's going to do, then it'll run its course. But it's when we try and suppress emotions that they're actually more harmful to us. Well, that's fantastic. So it's all about kind of not suppressing them, but just observing them. And it's, like you said, it's going to pass. Yeah, yeah. And observing them with this um, sort of meta-awareness I talked about. Right. So you can actually have a you can be really anxious and feel it in your body and have an awareness of that anxiety that's not anxious at all. That makes any yeah. sense to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think it does, because I guess you're not um I'm thinking of like, for example, uh, insomnia, right? It's something that if you uh, if you wake up and you, you kind of want to go back to sleep, but you can't go back to sleep because you're thinking that you can't sleep and you kind of focused on it and it makes you, and it's just, it's just, yeah, you're running in the loop. About, oh no, I'm not sleeping. Oh my God. It means I'm, I'm only going to get four hours of sleep and I'm going to be wrecked tomorrow. Oh my God, I really have to sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yes. Then, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like you say, uh, maybe just quiet line then thinking that, oh, it will go away and, you know, it will be where it will be. So what if I don't get, you know, my perfect sleep or whatever, right? Yeah, and we actually teach people specific breathing techniques that help to calm your nervous system and bring on the relaxation response and also occupy your mind so it actually helps you sleep better. So that's part of um, some of the teaching we do to patients in our programs. That's fantastic. So can you share some of those techniques right now in terms of breathing? Well, I mean, really, you know, the simplest thing to do to calm yourself down is to just switch over to a slower, deeper type of breath. We might call it diaphragmatic breathing or belly breathing or slow breathing. And so, you know, if you if you sort of sit in a way that you can breathe, because often we're slumped over and there's not much room for movement, but if you sort of sit upright and don't even try and change your breath, but just maybe close your eyes if you're comfortable, but just pay attention to how you're breathing. And one thing you could do is put a hand on your like lower belly and a hand on your chest just to sort of feel it better if you want. And then notice where there's movement. And so you may feel some rising and falling in the chest or some in the belly or maybe more in one area or the other. 
And then notice also the length of the in and out breath. And then the mind is probably wandering. So just notice that and bring it back to your breath. And then slowly you can drop your hands if you want, but slowly just allowing that breath to become a bit deeper. So that say you feel more movement in your belly and you'd be breathing in, say for a count of four, if that's comfortable. And then breathing out the same, so maybe counting down. So for example, you're breathing in one, two, three, four, and then out four, three, two, one. And then I like to add in a little visual image of a wave. As you breathe in, it goes up one, two, three, four. Then as you breathe out, it goes down four, three, two, one. And so trying to find a count that's comfortable and release tension through the chest and the belly. And then just following that wave of the breath. And as you exhale, there's a bit of a release of tension with your shoulders moving away from your ears, relaxing the muscles in the, through the belly and the buttocks and the legs. So you can open your eyes from that. But how did that feel? That was great, Linda. Yeah, it was really <laughs> great. And it kind of... Um... It really started with the breath, but it, it made my whole body feel more relaxed. Yeah, and so if you pay attention to muscle tension in your body that you'll notice, you know, that's always there, but often we're not aware of it. Um, so as you exhale, that um, stimulates your relaxation response. So that's a sort of good time to let go of a lot of that tension that you don't need. And so what that type of even breathing will do is just bring you to balance between your sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight reaction, you know, which revs up your body and increases your heart rate and your blood pressure, and the parasympathetic response, which is the relaxation that sort of tones down all that. So just a really simple, even deep breathing will balance out those arms or sides of your nervous system. Yeah, wow, that's, that's fantastic. And is that in some way related to something like Qigong or even Tai Chi in some way? Yeah, we're actually doing a study now comparing mindfulness meditation to uh, Tai Chi Qigong program. Um, but yeah, those are forms of what they might call moving meditation. And they Qigong especially um, uses a lot of control of the breath and different ways of breathing and moving, um, you know, to bring about balance in the nervous system in a state of like relaxation and sort of calm as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so incredibly useful during cancer because it's such a stressful time. And, mm. you know, people say, well, you just take it easy and relax, but <laughs> how do you actually supposed to do that, right? Yeah, and there's lots of different things, you know, and we call them mind-body therapies. So there's lots of mind-body therapies that have shown to be beneficial. So just sort of relaxation exercises, things like using imagery, self-hypnosis or seeing a therapist for hypnosis, the meditation, yoga as well has a lot of research, tai chi, qigong, like all of these types of therapies are ways to relax physiologically through the nervous system and also um, sort of strategies you can learn for personal empowerment and taking some control over how you feel in the moment. Yeah, exactly. So, and Linda, you know, there's lots of negative emotions that come up during cancer, you start to worry, of course, you know, um, you know, like a pain or an ache may trigger worries. And, you know, you sort of go down this rabbit hole of, of worries and, and, and negative thoughts that really affect you. And you really want to get this out of the way and kind of break, uh, break the loop. So what advice do you have on that front? So fear of cancer recurrence is so common, even for people who have a really good prognosis. Almost everybody talks about that, you know, you get 
oh, I don't know, a ache in your armpit, and maybe that's where it started, if it was a lymphoma or something, right? And then you start to think, oh my God, it means it's coming back. And then you get all worked up and your body gets tense, and the tension and the increased arousal and the heart rate makes the symptoms worse, right? And so you think, oh, it really is now, it's spread, and I can feel it in all these different parts of my body, oh my God. And then you think, what if it's coming back? Well, it's gonna be worse this time, and that means, and so, you know, within a few minutes, you're, you're digging your grave, right? Exactly. So yeah, it's very common. And so the mindfulness practice helps you notice that right at the beginning. Aha, you know, I've got an ache or pain and I'm starting to go down that rabbit hole, like you said. And so you can stop it right there. You can say, no, I'm not going to go there. And the rule of thumb we usually tell our patients is wait a week. Okay. Just notice it. Use your relaxation practices. Use your mindfulness to not get worked up. Right. And if it's still there in a week, then go see your doctor, make an appointment. Yep. Right. And usually these things are so transient, they come and go. And the thing that makes them worse is our worrying about them and our, you know, um, having all that muscle tension and stress around the area. And it does make the symptoms worse. So then of course you think, yeah, yeah, I'm right. It's coming back and you're running to the, you know, the doctor's office all the time, <laughs> getting tests you don't need. And, you know, so use the mindfulness practice, go to a yoga class, right? Just noticing that you're doing it is really the most important step right? Is being like, it's a red flag. Oh, this is happening. Okay. I know what this is. I know what I can do. I'll keep an eye on it. I won't ignore these things if they persist, but I'm not going to jump on every one of them. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, another thing that uh, I kind of stumbled upon Linda is, you know, after going through cancer and, you know, getting a good result, you kind of really start to look at life in a very different way. And I've spoken mm -hmm. to lots of people who went through this experience as well. And you kind of start to, you know, look at some things in a much more different, in a much more positive way, in a way, because uh, you kind of realize that things have changed. Things will probably will never be the same. But in the same, at the same time, you're not so much focused on things that are not really important. And you really start to put your energy and your time into things that you care about and, to, and into people that you care about as well. So finding something positive, you know, in your life after cancer or despite cancer, what's your perspective on that? Sure. Well, Joey, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. Like we, in academic circles, we call this benefit finding or post-traumatic growth, right? So this idea, oh yeah, the people study this. Is, you know, we've <laughs> looked at it in our people as well. And it's this idea that a traumatic experience, like something like cancer or other traumas as well, can sort of trigger people to take a broader look at their life and, you know, what does bring the meaning and purpose in life and where is the value. And if my life is foreshortened, you know, because every person who hears that diagnosis, you have cancer, thinks, oh my gosh, I could die prematurely. And is this what I wanted my life to be about, right? So you reevaluate kind of where you thought you were going and what's really truly important. And if your time is limited and all our time is limited, you know, you just realize it more concretely with the cancer diagnosis. So is this how I want to live my life? And so we look at things like this benefit finding or post-traumatic growth and also um, the concept of spirituality, which is finding a connection with something larger than yourself. So it might be connection with other people, with community, with some kind of higher power, with the universe, you know, sort of feeling a sense of interconnectedness, as well as the sense of meaning and purpose in life. And yeah, reevaluating the way you live your life day to day. And, uh, you know, we've done many interviews with people who go through the mindfulness program who talk about how that practice has facilitated, you know, their pathway through this personal growth. Yeah, fantastic. And, and Linda, if someone wanted to find you know, kind of 
get immersed in, in mindfulness. What are the resources that you can recommend? Well, there's lots of stuff online um, in terms of mindfulness training programs. So, well, so specifically for cancer, I would say start yeah. with our book, right? So there's the Mindfulness-Based Cancer Recovery book that Michael Specka and I wrote. And it really takes you week by week through the program. It's got scripts for guided meditation. Um, and we've also actually just, I'm not even sure if it's released to the public yet, but we made an app out of that, um, of that program. So it's, it's an app called AM Mindfulness, just AM Mindfulness. And there's a cancer journey within that that actually has teachings from me and Michael that we do in our class. So that's one specifically for cancer survivors and patients. Um, but there's many, many others. There's like Calm and Headspace and so lots of app-based things. We also made an adaptation um, of the in-person program to uh, like a web-based, real-time kind of um, video conferencing program through a company called eMindful. They're in the States, but they do these video conferencing mindfulness-based cancer recovery sessions, um, you know, on a regular basis. So anyone can sign up for any mindfulness-based cancer recovery uh, program. You know, and then there's the generic mindfulness-based stress reduction that ours is based on. And there's people trained to provide those programs all over the world. You know, so starting with an MBSR program is, is a great way for anyone to start. And then maybe going to some of the more cancer-specific resources after that. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much, Linda. That was fantastic advice. Well, I hope it's helpful. Absolutely. Thanks so much for your time. It's been, it's been fantastic. Love it. Love well, what enjoy you do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, this is Joe Bakmutsky, and thanks so much for listening. Listen, I just want to take a moment to really thank you for your time, because I know that it's precious, but also I want to congratulate you. I really want to congratulate you on listening to this podcast, because as we both know, cancer is incredibly hard to deal with, and you don't want to go it alone. And you want all the support and all the advice that you can get to, to stay on top of it, to stay on top of your worries during cancer. So I, I want to tell you about the tools that I have available on my website on simplifycancer.com that can really help you. So all of these tools are available under the tools menu on simplifycancer.com. So tool number one, that's the first visit oncologist checklist. So if the word oncologist bothers you, like I, I know it really freaked me out. If you are worried about your first appointment, as, as again, as we all are, then this can really help you with some key questions that you want to ask. The key thing, of course, is having a list like this means that you won't forget something important, which is easy enough to do when, when you've got a million things going through your head. Plus, it's a handy PDF, so it's easy to print and write down all the answers so you don't forget. So then there is the outcome map. Like this is a really simple but really powerful tool that I have developed to help you deal with worries about something specific, something that's bothering you right now. So maybe you're waiting for your test results and your mind's off running in a million different directions. Or maybe you've got an ache or pain and you don't know what it is. Like, is it cancer? Is that a side effect from treatment? Or maybe is that something else altogether? So it will kind of help you to put it all together so you can, you can get a bird's eye view and decide how to best deal with it. Number three is mastering your emotions during cancer. Now, this is a walk through all the stages that you go through as a patient and as a caregiver through anger and through guilt and fear and how you can address your needs, your emotional needs on every level during cancer. 
Like it came about after many discussions that I had with my friend and my colleague. Her name is Jill. Her husband had prostate cancer. So, uh, so he, she has this kind of caregiver's perspective. And we both like talked about how there are so many times, um, when you go through cancer, when you kind of just feel alone and you're struggling, you're on this roller coaster of emotions and it's kind of full on and it's hard to deal with. So there, there's an audio version that comes along with it. And there's a link to download the MP3 if that's what you want, or you can just listen to it online and, you know, and just uh, listen along with the PDF. So another one is testicular cancer support kit. This has a one page summary of what the testicular cancer journey looks like that you can check out for yourself or share with your family or friends. Like it's got a helicopter view of all the symptoms and treatments and who's involved and what happens when. And it's really great. One kind of page view of like what happens during testicular cancer. Plus, the kit also includes like ready-to-go email templates for your family, friends, and your workmates. So you can kind of share what's what's happened. Maybe you want to break the news on cancer and you can, don't want to think about and wreck your brain on what to write. So you can just copy and paste. You can tweak it a little bit so to suit your personality and you're good to go. And I've also done the same thing for prostate cancer. So check out the prostate cancer support kit. Again, it's showing all the treatment options and stages on one page. So you can walk someone through it, like someone from your family or a friend. And they know what to expect and how it all happens. And of course, when you sign up for any of my tools, that we just talked about. You also get an email from me when, when there's a new episode that's kind of relevant to you right now and other news from the world of simplified cancer. And listen, I'm, I'm going to keep on asking you about how I'm doing here. I mean, are you getting what, what you're looking for? Was there something in particular that, that really made sense to you? Or is there a question that you want to ask? Or maybe there's, there's just something that you, you want to get off your chest, like, please, I need to know. Just reply to any of my emails or send me an email right now. My email is joe at simplifycancer.com. So that's J-O-E at simplifycancer.com. And send me an email whenever you've got anything on your mind. So again, I want to thank you for listening. Till next time. 